I think we're going to go to 1 Timothy 6 tonight. We'll just call an audible. 1 Timothy chapter 6. It's going to give you a thought tonight, just, just a simple thought tonight. See if the Lord will honor it. 1 Timothy 6, verse number 12. Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession. Heavenly Father, we need your help tonight. Thank you for the Spirit of God that's moving in this place. Lord, when people just rejoice and just stand and just publicly testify, and thank you for you and what you've done in our lives. We are a blessed people. And we're grateful for it. And Lord, I pray that you'd help me tonight. I, Lord, you know, even right up to the service, Lord, usually not undecided, but I, I need your help tonight, right now. I need your direction, need the power of the Holy Spirit upon my life. I pray that tonight that you would help me, Lord, not to fumble and mumble so much. Help my delivery, help my thought process. I pray that you'd honor your word tonight in our hearts. May we leave tonight rejoicing in the goodness of God. I pray in Jesus' name and amen. 1 Timothy is one of the three pastoral epistles in the New Testament. We call them pastoral because they're written to pastors, Timothy and Titus, young preachers that are mentored by Paul and then placed in local churches to serve as pastors. Timothy was a young man who had been traveling and helping Paul for close to 15 years. And Paul writes this letter, 1 Timothy, to him. Paul has a long history. I'll not go through all of that tonight, but he has a long history with Timothy. Timothy had been his companion for, for many, many years. They've traveled a lot of places together. And he writes this letter to Timothy and, and great instructions. When you look at chapter 1, 1 Timothy chapter 1, there's instructions concerning false doctrine. He says, don't give heed to fables and heedless genealogies, and there will be some who want to be teachers, they're full of vain jangling and I charge you to fight a good warfare and hold forth the faith and beware of the blasphemers. You get to chapter two, there's instructions concerning the church. Be devoted to prayer. Women adorn yourselves in modesty. Ordained bishops are to be qualified. Behave thyself in the house of God. In chapter number four, there are instructions concerning false teachers. Some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils and they'll teach things like forbidding to marry but refuse profane and old wives' fables. In chapter five and six, there are instructions concerning pastors. He has a responsibility to widows. He has a responsibility to himself to rule well in, in his home and in the word and, and he's warned about the common pitfalls of handling money well and handling his character well and handling the truth well. And so that's an overview of, of the book of 1 Timothy. And uh, this year I will preach through the pastoral epistles in our church and I, I've been reading them over and over and over. 
Now, one of the things that I look for when I study a book is I look for key words, words that just keep popping up over and over and over. And one of the words that Timothy, that Paul uses is the word godliness. I, I think it shows up nine times in this book. He says, refuse profane and old wives' fables, exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, godliness is profitable unto all things. Godliness with contentment is great gain. He talks about godliness a lot. A word that I have noticed quite often in this epistle is the word worthy. Let the elders that rule well be worthy of double honor. Several months ago, I was reading this book and, and I come across a word and it just, it just seemed like it came over and over and over and it is the word good, good. And, and Paul uses the word good 19 times in this letter. And in ordinary conversation, he simply tells Timothy what is good. Now, don't you know that the world has a different take on what is good than what God does. And the world counts all good things in material things. The world says it would be good to win the lottery. It would be good to be a millionaire. It would be good to be famous or it would be good to be on American Idol or whatever it might be. But God defines good by far different terms. And you can pursue a life of goodness as defined by the world, or you can pursue a life of goodness as defined by God, but you cannot pursue both. Now, I know this is not profound, but it seems to fit the tenor or the mood of the service because this day I got out, today I got out in Chattanooga and rode around a little bit, and I just was thinking about the goodness of God in my life. You have testified, I'd like to testify. And I'd like to simply say that God has been good to me. The church that I'm pastoring is doing good. The family is doing well. My wife hasn't left me. My kids love me. My grandkids adore me. I tell you, it is a good life. Last year, I've had some challenges physically, but in spite of that, God's been good. Last year, we, if, if, last year, Murphy moved into our house in January and he hasn't moved out yet. We had some financial setbacks, but through it all, God has been good. I have some men that used to call me friends and now they wouldn't stick their tongue out at me, but still, through it all, God has been good. And the word good can really take on a lot of different meanings. It can mean pleasing. That was a good apple pie. It can mean it meets a desired purpose. Is this suit good enough for church? The word good can mean above average. She's a really good cook. It can mean attractive. That is a good looking woman. So the word good can, can mean a lot of different things. Now the word good shows up over 700 times in our Bible. So what I would like to do tonight on this Thursday night, I'm not in a hurry. I'd like to take you know, all 700 times and show you what God says is good. I know you wouldn't like that. So I'll just give you a couple of them by way of introduction. Hold your finger right here. Go to Genesis chapter number one. Genesis chapter number one. Here's the first time that you'll find the word in your Bible. Genesis chapter one and verse number four. 
And God saw the light that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. Seven times in Genesis chapter 1, God says that his creation is good. At the end of every day, except one, God said it is good. And I just thought about how that creation and this earth started with good days. And I learned from Genesis chapter 1 that every day that God gives you is a good day. It is good to have a job and to go to work and to come home tired and to have a family and to be productive and have something to do and to have a sense of accomplishment and, and, and to have some purpose and to spend your days doing something fruitful. I got up early this morning and spent a couple of hours studying, went out to town, just looked around, came back to the house, studied some more, and, 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 and it's been a good day. Look, if you would, in Exodus chapter number two. Exodus chapter two, here's something else that is good. Exodus chapter two, look, if you would, in verse number one. There went a man of the house of Levi and took to wife a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son, and when she saw that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. Moses is born to Jochebed and Amram, and he's described as a goodly child. Now, I know that children can be a handful at times, and I know that sometimes children can be a pain in the neck, but children are a blessing. I hope that children are not a burden to you, and I hope that there is a bigger blessing to you when they get older as they are when they were younger. I, I, I hope that you have a good relationship with your children. I could talk about my grandchildren every service. I, I'm sure that you don't want you to get bored, but they are a good thing in my life. God has given me a son, Jacob, who's called to preach. Last night, Jacob preached for me while I was preaching here. What a blessing. Megan is my daughter, sweetest girl that I've ever known. I've got a 15-year-old boy, Parker, got a tender heart. I'm gonna tell you that my children are good things in my life. Look, if you would, in Proverbs chapter 18 tonight. Proverbs chapter number 18, I'll show you something else that is good. Proverbs chapter number 18, look, if you would, in verse number 22. Proverbs 18 and verse 22, whoso findeth a wife, findeth a good thing. The devil is against every home in this church, especially if you're trying to have a Christian home. And what the devil wants is he wants you to be dissatisfied with each other. He wants you to be disappointed in each other. He wants you to dwell on your spouse's faults. He wants you to get a divorce. And when you and your wife fight, the devil cheers you on. And when you get bitter against one another, the devil says, that's a good thing. And when you say that I'm quitting on the marriage and I'm getting a divorce, the devil says, you deserve better anyway. But I tell you that if God has given you a wife, that is a good thing. She may not be perfect, but you aren't either. So rejoice in the wife of thy youth. I'll tell you something else that is good. Look if you would in chapter 17. Proverbs 17, look at verse 22. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dryeth the bones. If you can laugh, if you can enjoy life, if you have a sense of humor, if you don't take yourself too seriously, that is a good thing. I feel sorry for people who don't get a joke. I really do. 
I feel sorry for people that, that are always so sour and, and, and they're afraid to have fun and they don't think that you ought to. Hey, listen, God made you with the gift of laughter and if you have a merry heart, that is like medicine to the soul. Now, I could go on tonight, but I'm just trying to tell you tonight that God has put some good things in our lives. And I know there's exceptions to these things. I, I know that there are trouble, but I'm preaching the rule, not the exception. Right. I think about the old story about the schoolboy that was given the assignment. The teacher came into the class and said, all right. He said, I want you to get out a piece of paper and a pencil, and I'm giving you an assignment. She said, now on the, first, on the front side of the paper, she said, I want you, and when I give the signal, I want you to write down everything good that you can think about the Lord. Then, when you're done, I want you to turn the paper over on the back. I want you to write down everything bad that you can think about the devil. So they had their papers, they had their pencils, they're ready to go. She gives the signal. They begin to write furiously. Finally, after a little bit of time, she calls time, begins to collect the paper. She begins to look at the paper, and in one particular paper, she stops and looks at it, turns it over, turns it back over. And she calls the student out. She says, Johnny, I... I think that you have misunderstood my direction. I wanted you to write all good things about the Lord on one side. And on the other side, I wanted you to write all bad things about the devil. But you have filled up both sides of the paper with just good things about the Lord. And Johnny said, oh, teacher, I understood the directions. But when I got done thinking of all the good things I could think about the Lord, I didn't have any time left for the devil. You know, that, that's a good philosophy to have, isn't it? That'd be a good way to live. Just, just thinking about the good things of God. Now, I come back to 1 Timothy. Come, come back to it with me, if you would. And Paul mentions good 19 times in this letter. He talks about a lot of good things and the definition of a good life. Look, if you would, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, and look, if you would, in verse number 5. 1 Timothy 1 and verse number 5. Now, the end of the commandment it's charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. Write this down if you think it's thought worthy. Here's my first thought. If you have a clear conscience, that is a good life. That conscience is that voice inside of you that says yes or no. Good, bad. Do this, don't do that. It's like an inner policeman or an inner mother that won't let you get away with what you're not supposed to be doing. It is that part of you which you have never seen, but you have always felt. Sometimes it's your best friend. Sometimes it is your worst enemy. Your conscience is to your soul what your nerves are to your body. When your finger touches something that is hot, the nerves send a message warning to the brain that says, that's hot, remove the finger. And your conscience is like a warning light and it's telling you that what you're contemplating doing, that's wrong. And if you do it, the conscience says, see, I told you not to do that. The Bible talks about a seared conscience and a weak conscience and a defiled conscience and a pure conscience. And everybody has a conscience. Everybody has one, but not everybody has a good conscience in all things. Amen. But I say to you tonight that, that if you are trying to do right and if you treat people with respect and if your conscience does not convict you, that's a good life. 
If you can go to sleep tonight knowing that you didn't cheat anybody, you didn't try to get one over on another person, you're not hiding some secret sin, if you can rest tonight with a peaceful mind, you may not be rich, your body may be breaking down, you may not be in perfect health, but if you have a clear conscience tonight, that is a good life. I am glad tonight, I am glad tonight that in my marriage, my conscience is clear. If I was running around on my wife or if I had a girlfriend on the side, you know that would be a hard thing to live by, wouldn't it? And I'm glad that I don't have that on my mind. I'm glad that I don't cheat on my income taxes. I'm glad for that. I, I, why, why do that? My, my conscience doesn't bother me in any business dealings that I may have had. I, I've not tried to cheat anybody out of a dollar. And I, I've not used my office for gain. And as far as I know, I've not mistreated God's people. If you've got a clear conscience, well, what a good thing that is. Proverbs 20 and verse 27 says that the spirit of, the, 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 the spirit of, the, of man is the candle of the Lord. Some people live by hook or crook. Some people are constantly trying to find a way to do something dishonestly. And they've always got to cover up the latest lie. Got to wonder what I told him. Does it, does it cover what I said to him? And if you turn your back, you know that they're going to cheat you. And that still small voice is always nagging them that that's not right. And they always have to quiet that voice so they can get one over on you. Romans chapter two says, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. The Bible says that even the Gentiles which have never picked up a Bible have a law that is written in their heart. You don't have to be a Christian to know that it is wrong to lie. You don't have to be a Christian to know that it's wrong to steal. You don't have to have a Bible to know that it's wrong to be unfaithful to your wife. And when you live by that law that is written in your heart and you have a life that doesn't haunt you, boy, what a good thing that is. So I say tonight that if your conscience is clear, if you're not covering up your latest lie, if you're not looking over your shoulder, if you're not afraid your wife is gonna find out what you've been looking at on the computer, if you're not afraid of your parents picking up your cell phone and thumbing through it, if you're not living a double life, that's a good thing, that's a good thing. I'll show you a second one. Look, look if you would, to chapter two. Chapter two, look at verse number one. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. If you have a clear conscience tonight, that's a good life. But I say tonight that if you have complete communication, that's a good life. Paul writes to Timothy about his prayer life. In verse number one, he uses four different words for prayer. He talks about supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks. I'll let you study those and, and determine the difference between all of those. But if you can pray and if you have an open line to heaven and you can talk to God and God can talk to you, well, what a good thing that is. Now, every religion has some kind of prayer read into their religion. Maybe it's the Muslim that prays toward the east five times a day. Maybe it is Episcopalian that all he has is a prayer book and he just reads a prayer that somebody else wrote. But what none of them have is a God who answers back. 
Prayer is not just talking to God. Prayer is hearing back from God. And if the line of communication is open both ways tonight, well, what a good thing that is. Maybe you say, well, preacher, I can't remember the last time that I had God answer a prayer. And I think that God answers more prayers than we give him credit for. Because usually when a person says that, they're thinking of a tangible, physical thing that they didn't get. I prayed for that new Ford truck and I didn't get it. I, I have prayed for a new job. I'm still stuck in the old job. And we always think in terms of physical, tangible. But you know, I got up this morning and I asked the Lord to bless the day. And he did. Somebody prayed tonight, Lord, bless the service, and he has. We pray for things, and then God answers that because it's not physical, because it's not tangible, because we can't put a monetary value on it, then we don't credit that. Maybe you pray for wisdom on a big decision, and you get peace about which way to go. But if you have someone to turn to when you need some help, when you have somebody that you can turn to, and you know that he will hear you, what a great thing that is. We're teaching our grandkids, of course, to pray over their meals. Easiest place to teach them. And so when we're together before we, before we eat, you know, Pop will say, let's pray. And the girls will put their hands together and kind of squint their eyes and just kind of, they're not totally sanctified yet and, and get ready to pray. And I, and I, I, I love to play with them because, because they've learned. They've learned in Jesus' name, amen. That means we're done, we're going to eat now. And, and, and they're, they're anticipating it. So, so they, they get done praying about three seconds before Poppy gets done praying. And so now I like to just kind of throw them a little curve, pray a little extra long, uh, hesitate. Don't, don't say, did you? And, and, we're and here's the thing about it. We're, we're teaching them to pray over their meals, and here's the reason why. Because if we can teach them how to get a hold of God, that'll provide a good life for them. Because there are some people that don't know how to pray. There are some of you tonight that if you had a need, you wouldn't know how to get a hold of God. You'd know how to get a hold of your preacher. And there's nothing wrong with calling the preacher. And the preacher's glad to pray. But there's going to come a time when you can't get a hold of the preacher. There's going to come a time when you're going to need to get a hold of heaven and, and, and not to throw out a, 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 a Hail Mary or, or grabbing for a straw, but some people never talk to God and God never talks to them. But if you can get up in the morning and get on your knees and you can talk to God and you hear the voice of God and there is complete communication, I don't know what else is going on in your life. That's a good life that God's giving you. Good life. Look at chapter three, look at chapter three. Verse number one, this is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work, a good work. If you have a clear conscience tonight, and if you have complete communication with heaven, if you are a contributing Christian, that's a good life. Paul's writing about the qualifications for a man of God. He must be a man of character. And Paul says that it is a good work to be in the ministry. Now that doesn't apply to most of you all because most of you are not bishops. You're not, if you want to call the same thing as a pastor, you're not a pastor. So here's what I would say. If you have any ministry, if you have any service, if you have any work for God that you can do, you ought to be thankful for that. Because there's a lot of things that you can do with your life that is not good. 
You could spend it on a couch as a couch potato drawing a welfare check all day. That's not good. You could spend it in some crooked business or that, that, that's not good. But if you are in the ministry or if you have a ministry, if you have something that you can contribute to the work of God, that's a good life. I, I thank God tonight for every preacher that has crossed my life. Brother Gravely and I, we've talked about some of the old men that we knew. Every preacher that God has put in my path that preached the book. I'm going to be honest with you. I make, I make, you would never say this, but, but I would. Every once in a while, I will hear a preacher who doesn't impress me. Either with his sermon or his preaching ability. I have had to sit through some sermons that were too long, too loud, too scattered, too boring. Some of you think, yeah, like tonight. <laughs> but here, here, I appreciate him. Here, here, I appreciate a man who gives his life to God, a man who does the best that he can, a man who is trying to serve Christ. And for all of the bad sermons I've heard, boy, I've sure heard a lot of good ones. Yeah, yeah. And not everybody here tonight is a preacher, but if you have any ministry that you can give back to God, well, what a good thing that is. Yes, yes, and, 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 and I'll help you with something tonight, by the way. That, that in, the, in the place that you think that you are called may not be the place that God has for you. The church can only have so many Sunday school teachers. The church can only have so many people to work with the youth, right? The church, the church can only have so many soloists. Everybody can't be. We had a lady in our church and she was called to the solo ministry. And what had happened is she had sang somewhere and somebody lied to her and told her she had a beautiful voice. And so I inherited it is what happened, huh? Somebody has built her up and told her, and boy, the music tonight has been wonderful. It's been great, all right? And let me just say this, this lady that sings right here, yeah, boy, I tell you, that, that's, that's tremendous. So, so but, 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 but this was not that, all right? And, and um, she wouldn't keep the nursery and she wouldn't be on a hospitality team. She wouldn't clean the kitchen when we had fellowships, but she was called to be a soloist, a soloist. And we went round and round and round and round and round. And finally I said, you can be a soloist all you want at home. But we, we don't have any openings right now for more soloists, huh? And, and so, so, so maybe, maybe it's not exactly where, where you think that you fit, but you ought to find some place where you can serve. My hero was Ed Ballou. Dr. Ellis is here. Brother Ed Ballou was the founder of Rock of Ages Prison Ministry. And, and when I was a kid growing up, and, and listening to his cassette tapes, and I, I mean, I listened to his preaching that I had him memorized. He, he was my hero. I'll tell a story, I'll get it wrong, but this is the way that I remembered it. Brother Blue was pastoring a church one time, and he said one Sunday while he was preaching, he said there was a lady, an old lady, that came hobbling down to the altar, and, and he, he come down and he met her, and, and she was weeping and just really, and she said, oh, Brother Blue, she said, I'm so upset. She said, well, I was sitting there in the pew, said I felt underneath the pew, and felt somebody had taken their bubble gum, and they'd stuck it up under the pew, and just cannot believe that somebody somebody would do God's property that way. And, 
And she said, you know, preacher, if you'd let me, said, I, I'll come in this week and, and I'll put a sheet down and take a butter knife and I'll crawl under the pew and I'll scrape all that bubble. Am I getting the story halfway right? I'll scrape the bubble gum off the pew. And, and sure enough, that week, that old lady came in, crawled under all those pews and just scraped the bubble gum off the pew. I, I tell you tonight that maybe you don't have a Sunday school class and, and maybe there's not an opening in junior church. And, but I tell you, you could visit the hospitals or you could visit the shut-ins or you could preach in the jails or, or you could change oil in a widow's car or you could wash the preacher's car and every day that I get up and I get to study and I get to pray and I get to preach and I get to work at church I tell you that is a good day and if you have something tonight that you can contribute if you have something tonight that you can give if you have something tonight that you can do if you have something that you can do to be a ministry to others if you have a barbecue store and you can fix barbecue for a jubilee and the preacher don't have to worry about it and you can contribute I tell you what a blessing that is if you are a contributing Christian that's a good life come back to chapter 6 1 Timothy chapter 6 I'll give you my last one 1 Timothy 6, here's where we start at verse 12. Fight the good of faith, lay hold on eternal life. Whereunto thou art also called, hast prophet is a good profession before the many witnesses. I give thee charge in the sight of God who quickeneth all things and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession. If you have a clear conscience tonight, if you can sleep in peace tonight, and if you have complete communication if you can talk to God and God talk to you, and if you are a contributing Christian, something that you can do in the work of the Lord, if you have a continuous confession, you have a good life. Paul tells Timothy, never stop fighting the good fight of faith. Amen. And when you tell some Christians that, they say, who is he? Where is he at? They're not talking about fighting somebody else. Really, the one you need to fight is yourself. Can I be honest with you? Sometimes it's a fight to read my Bible. And sometimes it's a fight to pray. And sometimes it is a fight to give out a gospel track. Do you know sometimes it's a fight to keep the temper in check? Sometimes it's a fight to hold my tongue. And Paul says for testimony's sake, fight the good fight of faith. And he uses an example in verse 13. It is the example of Jesus Christ. He says, before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession. Good confession. Let me show you something tonight. Look at Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, almost done. Look at Luke chapter 23. I'm going to show it to you. Luke chapter 23, look if you would in verse number 1. Luke 23, verse 1, the whole multitude of them rose and led him unto Pilate. They began to accuse him, saying, We have found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ the King. I want to tell you, that's not true. They're lying about him is what they're doing. Look at verse 5. They were the more fierce, saying he stirreth up the people teaching throughout all Jewry, beginning from Galilee to this place. When that didn't work, they ramped it up more. They're just going to get louder, more ridiculous. Verse 10, 
the chief priests and the scribes stood and vehemently accused him, getting louder, more animated, more vile. Verse 11, Herod with his men of war set him at naught and mocked him and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him again to Pilate. We're going to add mockery to the false accusations. Verse 16, I will therefore chastise him and release him. We're going to add physical abuse to the treatment that he received. But when they did everything they could against him, What's the end result of it? Look at verse four. Then said Pilate to the chief priests and to the people, I find no fault in this man. That's a good confession right there. Look at verse number 14. Said unto them, you have brought this man unto me as one that perverted the people. And behold, I, having examined him before you, have found no fault in this man touching those things. Boy, that's a good confession. Look at verse 15. No, nor yet Herod, for I sent you to him, and lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. That is a good confession before Pilate. And I tell you tonight that you may have to face some of what our Lord faced, but here's what you do. Just keep standing and don't crack under pressure. Don't abandon the faith. Don't lose your character. Don't lose your temper. You just have that good confession before men. If I come back in 20 years, if I come back in 20 years, some of you will not be here. Some of you will not be here. Some of you will be. I preach it in church in another state every year. And um, young man, married, three kids, assistant pastor, leads in music, does everything for the pastor. Good man, good man, good man. Well, last year I went. I got there just in time for service, slipped in. He wasn't leading the singing. And I looked around and I, I didn't see him. And so I waited and the next day got time with the pastor. I said, hey, where's brother, where's brother so-and-so? He said, ah, he's, he's not with us anymore. He and his wife having some trouble and he, he just he, he created a lot of shipwrecks. His wife has left him and um, he's out of the ministry. I thought, boy, how many times have I heard that? How many times? How many times have I gone somewhere and somebody's serving the Lord and they're doing right and a year or two later, hey, where's brother so-and-so? Oh, it's a tragedy. I got upset. I got offended. They're gone. But I tell you tonight, I tell you, that if you're still standing and if you're still here and you take everything that the devil can throw against you and you just keep standing and you keep fighting and you keep living for Jesus, tonight if you're still reading your Bible and tonight if you're still faithful to a good church and tonight if you're trying to live a holy, godly life, and if you're still fighting the good fight of faith, that's a good life. You may not have the money that you think you deserve. You may not be in the job that you think you need. You may have physical problems. There may be problems with the kids, things in the family. But if you can lay your head tonight and you have a clear conscience, it's a good life. If you can get on your knees and get a hold of heaven, it's a good life. If you have something, anything that you can give back to God in service, it's a good life. And if after all of these years, the devil's thrown everything that he can at you, if you're still standing, that's a good life. It's a good life. I thank God for the life that he's given me.
Oh, there's a lot of things I could complain about. When I think about all the good things of the Lord, I don't really have any time for the devil. I, I hardly ever give an invitation like this. You know what I think would be good tonight? I think it would be good tonight if somebody just come to this altar and say, Lord, I'm not asking you for anything. No request. But I just want to thank you for the life that you've given me. You've been good to me. In my faith, in my family, you think of where you were before you got saved. Think of where you are now. And I just want to say, Lord, thank you for a good life. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word tonight. I've tried to follow the direction that I felt that I should go, and I, I trust that I have. I thank you tonight for the life that I enjoy. It's a good life. I thank you tonight for my wife, a godly lady. And I thank you tonight for my children, that tonight all of them are serving you. They love you tonight. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for the church that you allowed me to pastor. It's a good church. And it's good people. Thank you that you allow me to preach, travel around the country, be in some of the best churches in the world. I'm grateful for that. Lord, you have blessed us so much financially. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that in my heart tonight, there is a desire, though my flesh fights it. But I'm glad that in my heart tonight, there is a desire to know you and to love you and to know more about your word and to live by the Spirit. I thank you for that tonight. Thank you for the preachers that you've put in my path. Thank you for Brother Gravely. I love this dear man. Lord, what a blessing and encouragement that he is to me. And I thank you for him. And so help us tonight, Lord, just to worship you, just to take a minute and say, thank you, thank you. Help us to judge good by your standards and not by the standards of the world. God speaking to your heart tonight. You need to come. These are here. Join them on the altar while the preacher comes tonight. You have.